0: can everyone stand up for a minute if you're able you don't have to if you don't want to but please do hey uh look around and give someone a welcoming smile and wave just look around look at all these people here isn't it wonderful if you're at home just look around wave at people all right maybe stretch a little bit move around good okay let's sit down It is great to be here together, right? Huh? Listen, it's good to stand up and sit down a bunch. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters have done that like 15 times already this morning, so now we join them. Huh? Huh? Lutherans, Anglicans, they're all up and down, so now we uh, cut that ratio a little smaller. No, I think it's exciting to look around and see people. I get pumped about people. Um, I draw energy from people. I'm an extrovert, so some of you introverts, you leave super tired. It's because I'm sucking your energy from you. That's what I do. Uh, My wife, she's like, oh, gosh. Here we go. Uh, She's thankful that it's you and not her. So just, man, I get so pumped. But it's just exciting to see people because there's something about these rituals that we have, traditions that we have. It's something that's like core to be human. What it means to be human is to gather and celebrate stuff, right? All through history, cultures are marked and known by what they celebrate, by by how they deal with certain uh, things when they gather And so it's just exciting to take a moment to say, hey, this isn't just an individual thing. You're not just here with your beautiful flowery dress or your beautiful flowery shirt uh, to say like, hey, here I am. You're a part of something larger than that. You're a part of a gathering, a Christian gathering. We say we're one body, one faith, one baptism in Christ. Many parts fitted together as one body in Christ. And so it's exciting. It's exciting to gather to worship. And it's especially exciting on Easter Sunday because we gather and we celebrate that Christ is risen, right? We say he is risen. risen. You guys got to get better at that. We're going to try again. He He is risen. That's right. Right, we know that. Those are things that we say. And it's, it's okay that we make much of it one day extra a year and say, hey, we're going to really hone in on that. Just like we have Advent and we talk about you know, Christmas and Christ's birth. We have these different seasons. These rituals remind us of things that are important. Because as we talked about in our discipleship series, right, Deuteronomy 6 says, remember these things, right? Tell your kids, talk about them. Write them on your heart because you're going to forget right? We're going to forget that he is risen indeed. We're going to get through the rest of the week, the rest of the year, and until Easter comes around next year, it might be something that we don't live in the reality of the resurrection. I want you to grab a Bible. Uh, you can use a device if you want. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, I recommend the, uh, the Version Bible app. Uh, if you can avoid the distraction, hop on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hard-backed black one on the seat in front of you. Here, here's the thing. Uh, whether you've heard me say this a hundred times or the first time, we're going to get in God's word today. I could get up here and say all these exciting things and get you really pumped about something go, like, oh yeah, David said this super profound thing. Oh, oh, oh. And then you're going to forget it. You're going to go and do the rest of your life. But if we read the word of God, now all of a sudden we have something eternal to hold on to because these words have been talked about for thousands of years because God's given them to us to help us understand who he is and draw near to him. Amen? So we're going to read the Word of God today. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37, Matthew 28, and John 20. If you're a type A note taker person, good luck taking notes off me. We will pray for you. Uh, We're going to be all over the place. We're going to start in Ezekiel 37. When we say, he is risen, and you say, he is risen indeed, we want to make much of what that means. There's a lot we could say to kind of introduce how we're talking about that. In general, a man died. 2000 years ago a poor Jewish guy he died and now he is alive and still alive and we don't have any categories for that in our mind in fact we have ceremonies and things and songs we write to try to make sense of that because you don't know someone who's dead and then lived forever and came back to life you might you might have a story like oh yeah My buddy was drunk and he like passed out, but then they like and then he came back to life, yo. Like you might have that story, but that person's still gonna die, or they already died, right? Jesus was a poor Jewish man 2,000 years ago who died. He was resurrected. Hundreds of people saw him alive after he died. Many people saw him die. Tons of people saw him alive again, and then he ascended to heaven to live forever. We don't have a category for that. It doesn't make sense to us. And on the other side, we don't really have a good category for death. No one in this room is like, oh, I'm pretty comfortable with death. It's all right. I get it. Some of you who are like intellectuals and philosophers, you might say, no, no, I've really figured this out. I understand everyone dies and it's all part of the life. Yeah, right. And then some kid abruptly gets hit by a bus and everyone loses their mind. Why? Because we're not comfortable with death. We, it doesn't make sense to us. So whether it's grandma who's super old who, who maybe is better off to, instead of suffering to slowly pass away, or it's, it's some abrupt death that we're not ready for, no one knows what to do with death. We don't have a category for that either because we weren't meant to die. We were meant to live forever with God. And so now the resurrection means something more to us. We're going to talk today about three stories in the Bible three scenes to help us make sense of Resurrection Sunday. What does it mean to be resurrected? Jesus Christ resurrected, so what? In fact, Jesus said in John 11, we're going to throw this on the screen a lot today, he's talking to a gal and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asks, do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection in life. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look at Ezekiel 37. God, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to gather and talk about your resurrection. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would move in our hearts. Give us ears to hear. God, all the stuff we bring into this room, maybe all the stuff in our lives we try to mask because it's Easter, and we, we want to just put on the, the Easter hat for a minute. God, I pray that you break the up and that we would hear from you. Help us believe that you love us today. Help us understand your resurrection, God. I pray that we would believe in your spirit. We love you, Father. Amen. So we had Good Friday. Today we have Resurrection Sunday. Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. So here we are trying to figure out what that means what does that look like uh open your bible to ezekiel 37 so all through history after the fall and we'll talk about the fall about how we rebelled against god we did our own thing you guys get this because you've been around people you know that jerk that's all about them but in a lot of ways you're that jerk i'm that jerk so i'm gonna do my things my own way don't tell me how to live my life i know how to live my life. i'm gonna do i'm gonna do what i want to do live my best life do what i want it's all about me folks on me you get that right and so the bible had that Adam and Eve went against what God said and so all of humanity got separated from God we'll talk more about that but they rebelled and so now all through the bible we have sin and death and evil and you experience those things in your life as well and God sent prophets and priests and kings to come and say, no, 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 here's the word of the Lord. You've, you've tried to abandon God, but we've got a word from the Lord to tell you what God wants. And so Ezekiel was a priest. God gave him visions, gave him uh, words to say. And a lot of it was about Israel's judgment going against idols. Israel was all about, hey, we're going to worship what we want. We want to be God to ourselves. We want to worship these other gods. We don't really want to trust the God that has brought us out of Egypt, that's done all these things for us. We don't want to do that, right? Right? And we're no different. We'll see that as well. All of humanity is the same. We want to do our own thing. And so um, all of the book of Ezekiel is a prophecy as judgment against Israel, but also about future hope. God's not just saying, you stink. You're done. Get out of here. God's saying, no, no, no. no. I'm going to make this right. And the ways he makes it right is very profound. In, In Ezekiel 36, Verses 26 and 28, God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, breath, I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, my breath, within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give you to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. God knows that we need something. We can't do it ourselves. He says, no, no, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. Uh, The word spirit in the Bible is ruach. It means breath, spirit. It's an animating force. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But God's saying, oh, you can't do this. I'm going to do it for you. So he says that in Ezekiel 36. And then in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has this weird, trippy, horror movie vision. If you know the story, you're pumped because it's an exciting story in the Bible. I'm about to read it. It starts in Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord that these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So he's in a valley of bones. It's creepy, right? God's just like, hey, here's a vision. Boom. You're in a valley of bones. All these bones scatter around. Maybe you've seen, like, a horror movie, right? Or you've seen some sort of, like, uh, murder mystery, and it's like, there's all these bones on the ground. It's a creepy scene, right? Try to envision that. Whole lot of bones all around, just scattered all about. And God says, hey, can these bones live? Maybe you know God, right? (laughs) Like, like, you, you tell me, God. Don't trap me with these questions, right? And so God says, no, no, no. Yeah, I can put breath in them, I can make them live, these dead bones, these things that are, that are separate, that are broken down. He says he'll put his breath in them. So I prophesied as the Lord commanded. I spoke the words of the Lord, verse 7. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. This is a weird scene. Just let the Bible be weird for a minute. Don't make me read it again. Just think about it. Weird. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird scene. Okay, good. You've thought about it. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. Just imagine this. There are all these bones, dried bones. They've been there a while, right? Dry, dusty bones, like uh, uh, the elephant graveyard. Lion King, anyone see that? No, just me? Cool. Uh, All these bones all over the place. And then he prophesies over them, as God says, and then they start to rattle. Make a rattling noise. How do you make a rattling noise? With your mouth, go yeah everyone it's weird it's hard to do right but it's a rattling the bones are rattling you get this you can hear this noise and then he sees them like come together right it's like okay this is weird skeleton army stuff that's kind of trippy but then all of a sudden they get wrapped with muscles and flesh and organs and central nervous system thingies and veins this is weird. Don't look at me like this is okay. Oh, it's Easter Sunday. Cool. Just reanimation of life. No big deal. It's a weird story. Super uncomfortable. And so then all these reanimated lives are standing there. But, but the problem is they don't have life because they're missing what? Breath. This is the exact story that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates man out of what? Dust. The dust. And then what does he do? Breeze. You are dust and divine breath. Right? Or, I mean, maybe, maybe we're all just a cosmological burp, right? Uh, some, some thing that happened in the clouds, a spatial bag of stardust that collided, and pfft, here we are accidentally. No, you know that there's something else in you. Life's more precious than that. You're not just some cosmological accident. Something special about that. In the Bible, this word is ruach. Say it with me ruach you got can you do that please okay thank you ruach it's a hebrew word for the animating force the first thing in the bible is god hovers over the water his spirit his ruach hovers over the water and he brings order from the chaos god looks at the world he creates everything you read Genesis one two everything gets created and then he creates man out of dust and then he breathes into them Now they have an animating life. When the Hebrews, or most early cultures, when they heard ruach, when they heard spirit, they weren't thinking of this disembodied thing that floats out of you and plays harp in the sky when you die. They were thinking about the animating force that makes the trees blow that's so powerful they can't control it. They were thinking about the animating force that when you see someone die and you hear people write about, the life left their eyes. That's what they're talking about. There's an animating force that keeps something alive. You know it and I know it. Anyone who's watched someone die, you watch someone something happened that's not just physical. There's something that leaves them. The Bible calls it ruach, the spirit of God. And these people, these dry bones that God brings back to life, they're missing this ruach. They're missing the breath of God. And so the breath of God enters them, and then they're alive. God goes on to explain this. He says uh, in verse next, 11... Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the house of Israel. Here's the thing. All of these prophecies connect to all humanity. They were for Israel because God's people, Israel was God's chosen people for the world. Israel, when they lived as God intended, the whole world would see what God was doing, who God was, and they would come to worship him. And instead, Israel kept worshiping idols. They kept going their own way. All of us have this same problem, this sin problem. And so when he says, these dry bones, these things are you, they're Israel. How are they like us? What is this like? Because we're all dead to sin. The Bible tells us over and over and over that sin is killing us. You will experience death in your life. (gasps) Yeah, we're all gonna die turns out. And if you've ever been around someone who's sick and dying, it's a terrible thing. If you've been around someone with dementia where their brain's slowly going and you know that they're nearing the end, it's a terrible thing. If you've been around a tragic loss where someone's too young, too healthy to die, it's a terrible thing. And the Bible tells us that all this happens because of sin and rebellion. But it's not just death. We're experiencing these things because we keep going our own way. We hurt each other. We step on each other. You guys know we have phrases for it, like narcissistic people, selfish people, buttholes, whatever phrase you want to use. There's other words we can't say in church, but we we know we get fired up about people who act the way they shouldn't, right? We all get crushed by this, and we all act this way. And God says, you're in your grave. You're dead. You need a new heart. You need a new spirit, because you've been separated from God. Israel's not able to do this on their own. They're not able to just say, we're going to try really hard. We're going we're to obey the laws. We're going to get it going. They can't do it. They messed up. So God says, you need something new. I will resurrect you. I will breathe into you. This idea of resurrection... In the Bible, it's not just in this prophecy. It's all over the Old Testament. I've got tons of verses listed here. I'm just going to read a couple. Daniel 12, 2 said, And many of those who are asleep and dead in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. All over the Bible, they had this belief, this idea that God would resurrect everyone and those who trust in him would be made new. They'd be resurrected. But you get this idea, okay, well, hold on, David. Is this like metaphorical, right? Because people are still dying. Things, things don't work like this, right? So it seems metaphorical. Is this hope that we have hypothetical, metaphorical? Let me get to Jesus. Got the dry bone scene we just looked at. They come together, brrr, God breathes in them. Scene two, Jesus comes. John 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. There's a lot of background story to that, but Jesus had a friend Lazarus. He got sick. By the time they went to visit him, he was dead. And Jesus is sad about it. Jesus weeps. Uh, It's a meaningful place in Scripture. We see Jesus, man, he, he carries these things. He's sad. This is hard for him. All these people are weeping. John 11, starting in verse 17, there's a conversation Jesus has. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died you relate to that? God, if you'd only been here, these things wouldn't have gone the way that they're going. God, if you were really here, this would be different. Things would be better. Lord, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Again, Hebrews, they had this idea. God told them one day these dry bones would be raised. Everything would come back. God would make everything right. Here's what Jesus says to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus then raises Lazarus from the tomb. Comes out. He's alive. Everyone's amazed. Uh, They go, the religious leaders freak out about it and they start plotting to kill Jesus. It's a big deal. A man was dead. Jesus brings him to life. This guy was in the grave, Lazarus, just like all the broken bones we were just talking about that were all scattered. He was dead. And this idea now of resurrection starts not just being metaphorical, but now it's literal. This literal Jesus, this Messiah, Jesus shows up and says, Come out of the grave. You're not dead anymore. Come out. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. Jesus is the resurrection life. Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection. No, no, no. You're waiting for this resurrection in the future. I'm the resurrection life. And then he proves it. Lazarus, come out of the grave. Just like those dry bones, many of us are in the grave. In the world of the Bible, by the way, this might come later, but in the world of the Bible, you are trajecting towards two places, right? All of us see. We are living or we are dead, right? That's philosophy. No, it's not. It's pretty simple, right? You are living or you're dead. If you're in this room, you're watching, right, you're probably living, right? In the world of the Bible, those things are a little different because Adam and Eve died, but then hundreds of years later, they actually died. See what I'm saying? There's all these ideas in Revelation. He says, though you seem living, you're actually dead, He's talking to uh, the church in Ephesus, I believe. There's this idea that you could be trajecting towards death and still walking around just whoo, right? And you know this because you know people who have bad lives who are pretending they're okay. If you ever know someone who's thwarted with addiction, right? They'll tell you, oh, everything's fine. I'm good. I'm good. And you're watching them destroy their life. If you've got kids, they make bad decisions. They think, oh, no, no. I got this figured out. Like, No, stop. I know better than you. Stop. We know this is true. People can be living in things that are destroying them, that are killing them. And as far as Jesus sees, as far as the Lord sees it, dry bones, separated from God, dying. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. Jesus calls people out of the grave. He says, come out, come alive. Come out from the grave. It's time to live because I'm the resurrection and life. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, eventually they uh, imprison Jesus, they falsely try him, they whip him, they beat him, they mock him, and then they brutally murder him. Incredible humiliation, dishonor, and suffering Jesus takes on. Many of his followers abandon him. Uh, There's some women that stick around, which I think is interesting in the Bible narrative. Uh, The women stick with him uh, through the end of the crucifixion, through the burial, And then uh, this guy named Joseph has a tomb. Jesus gets put in his tomb. And then we get to scene three, the resurrection. Here's what we're talking about, Resurrection Sunday. Here we are. We have this dry bone story, this whole thing all through uh, the Old Testament of resurrection. Jesus raised Lazarus, says, come out of the grave. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And now we have Matthew 28. Here's the story that we celebrate Easter morning. Matthew 28, starting in verse one. Now after the Sabbath... risen Risen. as he said come see the place where he lay then they quickly uh, they then go quickly and tell the disciples that he had risen from the dead and behold he is going to uh, going before you to Galilee there you will see him see I have told you and so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples and behold Jesus met them and said greetings that's all Hi, Jesus says. It's the Hebrew translation. Greek, just kidding, but greetings. And they came and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell the brothers to go to Galilee. There I'll meet them. Matthew says something here. It's really important. He says, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. After the Sabbath. Shabbat, right? Say Shabbat. Shabbat. What is Sabbath? Yeah, yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah. What what do we do on Sabbath? We rest. Why? Because God rested, right? And He told us to. No, that's a huge man. That's a message for another time. God commanded you to rest, right? Please, for the love of God, rest. Acknowledge that it's completed. God rested because it was finished. He created everything and it was good. And so once a week we rest to celebrate. Hey, even though the world around us is messed up. We trust that God's making all things new. We trust that he's taking care of us. So we're going to take some time to intentionally rest. Shabbat. Trust that God has made it all good. God is making it all right. And Matthew wants to point out, hey, this is the first day after something's been completed. Something new happened. What happened on this day? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is risen. Catch that. God completed everything. He created the world. He said, it is good. And then he rested because it was complete. And then Matthew says, no, no, no. This is the day after Sabbath, the first day, the new day, because something's been completed here. This resurrection that we all hope for, because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus meets them. And he says, hey. And they worship him, which is all you can do. If you meet Jesus, if you know Jesus, it changes your life. There's no other response. You worship him because he's transformed you, because he loves you. You worship him. Later that evening, John tells us what happens. Jesus says, hey, tell the brothers, come meet me in Galilee. We gonna hang out. And so later that evening, John writes in John 20. It's an interesting story here. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he said, uh, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the... He did what? he, He breathed on them. Why did he breathe on them? Because the Lord's breath is his spirit, is his animating force. Because it is the breath of the Lord that brings the dry bones up. It is the breath of the Lord that calls Lazarus from the grave. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection life. This ruach, in Greek it's pneuma, right? This animating force. Jesus says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. What is the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our seal in Christ, that we have been made new, that we're righteous, that God enters us and dwells in us. Jesus now lives in us. God isn't just here in this building where you've got to come to him to be with God in church on Sunday. He's not in some temple where we've got to make all these uh, trajectories and treks and journeys to go see God. God lives in us. This is the idea all from the beginning. You are dry bones. You are dead. How, how do we make sense of a perfect, holy God? God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. God loves us. He's just. How do we make sense of all these things? Because we are not those things. This is so important. This isn't that hard. If we are not perfect and God is perfect, he has to become less than perfect to allow us to draw near to him. So then he becomes less holy. He becomes less just. And so he can't be that way. But we would also say God is love. And as a loving father, he wants to be near to us. How do we make sense of this? Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ takes on all this stuff that we do. All the junk, the sin, the death. We tend to sometimes just think that Jesus Christ is this hypothetical thing, right? If Jesus is your hypothetical savior and you have hypothetical sin, you don't know Jesus. Jesus is a real savior. He saved us from our real sin. And it's not just our sin that he saves us from, but he saves us from death. Cuz even if you're in here and you say, "I am the best one among you." Bunch of idiot church people who come in here to worship this God because you're imperfect, I'm above you. I've figured it out. You're still going to die. You can't take anything with you. All your stuff is future garage sale. Nothing you have will matter in 100 years. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit in them so that he could dwell in them forever. This is why Jesus can say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's the last things he said before he ascended. All these folks gathered, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me because he defeated Satan, sin, and death on that new day when he rose. The tomb is empty. And he says, I am with you always. He he breathes his spirit into them. Whoever believes in me... Do you believe this, is what Jesus said. Our hope is not metaphorical. It's not hypothetical. If your sin is small, your Savior's small. But if your sin is great, you must need a great Savior. So often, we come into this room and we worship and we approach our Christianity from this hypothetical idea. We can't place any real sin in our lives, and so Jesus doesn't really mean anything to us. But when you understand your valley of broken bones, when you understand the grave that you're coming out of, you understand that that on your own, your addiction isn't going to get changed. On your own, your self-image where you hate yourself and you think you're never going to be good, that doesn't change. On your own, you're not going to be a better spouse. Your spouse isn't going to fix things for you. Your kids aren't just going to magically get better. All the brokenness in your life, you're not going to make it right. Jesus says, come out of the grave. I am the resurrection in life. So now resurrection is a real thing. Not just hypothetical, not this hypothetical thing, not just this metaphorical thing. No, no, no. Quit living in death. You're walking in death. You're walking in sin. It separated you from God. And a holy God says, no, instead of you can't be with me, he says, I'm going to take all this on. I'm going to do it so that I can be with you. That's what love is. It's the love we want. We want commitment and sacrifice from others. And our Lord loves us so much, he gave everything to have a relationship with us. Jesus is your only hope for resurrection. He's your only hope for life. And he says, do you believe this? If you're sitting here today, it's a question Jesus poses to you. Do you believe this? Something you believe? Or is this just hypothetical? Eh, Easter. Eh, it's a thing we do. Go on, do the next thing. We'll forget about it by noon. I am the resurrection in life. The life. The life you live every moment. Not just the life you live when you decide to come to church. Jesus says, I am the resurrection in life. Paul makes sense of this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if we, or if in Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That is, if, if this is only for now, if Christ is not bring eternal life, we should be pitied because we're a bunch of buffoons, Right? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We've brought sin and death into this world. If you're here, I want this morning to make sure we have an example or thought about what the gospel is. We've been kind of unpacking this. Uh, the band's going to come forward. We're going to talk a little bit about the gospel, and then we're going to worship. We're going to worship the risen Savior. But here's some questions I would pose to you. Maybe you're sitting here. This is your hundredth time in church, your first time in church. Maybe this is all just like, eh, Easter. Got to get through it. Got to do my next thing. Here's some questions I want us to answer. How do we all get here? Is this some cosmological hiccup did the stars just burp as bags of stardust and here we are? No, you know there's ruach in you. You know there's something meaningful to life. God created the world to be perfect, for us to have a perfect union with him. How do we get here? God created He wants this with us. Right relationship. What went wrong? We decided, saying, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want you God. And some of you are sitting here like, man, I don't, I don't ever connect to God. I don't pray. I don't, I don't you know, I don't, I don't know. We all want to do our own thing. We push God away. We have sin, we have rebellion, we have death because we've decided to go apart from God. So what's the solution? The cross is the solution. You want to know how much God loves you? Think about all the junk in your life that you do wrong, all the people you've crushed, all the things you've heard, all the times that you've said, I don't care about you, God. I'm only going to be here whenever I want to be here. I don't, I don't want to connect with you. And God looks at you and says, I love you enough that I'm still going to die for you. We hold up high all these heroes who die for other people. In my gym, we do workouts for people who have given their lives for other people. We honor people who've given their lives. Jesus Christ gave his life for every single one of us so that if we believe in him, then we get to be righteous and have eternal life with God. If you're in here today and you don't understand the solution for your problem, thank God that he's brought you in here to hear the gospel this morning. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Asked Jesus. Do you believe this? Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. We have an empty tomb. No one's finding the body of Jesus. Tons of people wrote about how Jesus was resurrected. Jesus is telling you this morning to come out of the grave quit living as dry bones. You're not making it on your own. The resurrection reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we have life in him, that he resurrects us. Are you trajecting towards new life in Christ? Is every part of your day saying, man, I am seeing things made new in my life My marriage, my kids, my job, things are being resurrected. There's this constant cycle of God making things new, as Jesus said. Or are you trajecting towards death and separation from God? Thank God that he's put you in this room this morning to hear this truth. So that when we stand and worship him, we can say, no, no, no. I do believe Jesus. I do believe that you are the resurrection and the life. You're my only hope. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Then we're going to worship Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time that we get to hear your word, we get to worship you. I pray right now, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would give their life to you, that they would choose to believe that you are the resurrection life. We'd be able to pray together and see them saved by you. God, thank you that when we were separated from you, that you died for us. You love us that much. Help us to make sense of that. Protect us from our selfishness, from evil, from the bias that we have. And I pray that you continue to draw us near to you. There's so many stories of how you're chasing people's lives down and how, how they see you and you reveal yourself to them in different ways. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would be revealing yourself right now in this room to people, for those watching at home, that they would see you and they would believe in you and say, God, I want to trust you with my life and show us as your body, as your church, how we love other people and invite them in to life with you, resurrected life with you, God. Lord, we trust you. Thank you for calling us out of the grave. Thank you for Jesus.